As a church family, we've been in a series um, called How To, looking at just some of the basic principles, basic things in the Christian life, and how we can take what God's Word teaches us and put it into action. And as Pastor Paul mentioned, tonight we have a very special uh, Christmas Eve service beginning at 5 p.m., a one-hour service. So I'm just continuing to keep our hearts centered upon Jesus as we move into celebrating just Christmas, both Christmas Eve this evening as well as tomorrow. And I do hope that you'll make plans to join us. Uh, tonight I plan to share a message called How to Make Christmas Last All Year Long. But this morning, I'd like to share with you a very different message. And this morning's message I'd like to share with you is called How to Totally Ruin Christmas. <laughs> and so with that, I want to invite you to look with me in Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when they rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their their treasures and presented to him the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warmed in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now when it comes to the Christmas season, uh, Jesus is and really should always be the very center of the story, the very center of the season, the very center of our focus. And I think many times you'll hear that. We'll hear people say things like, Jesus is the reason for the season, or some phrase like that. But inevitably, when the Christmas season comes along, there are a number of other, I think characters perhaps is the, the right phrase to, to use. There's different characters who will surface along the way when we begin to enter the Christmas season. I think one of them, probably the, the most prominent, uh, is Santa. That if you've been to the malls, you've been to the stores, you'll see it on commercials, you'll see him on, uh, in movies. But Santa Claus begins to surface as a character that we see during the Christmas season. And of course, you don't have Santa without the elves. And so I think the elves come up. You begin to think, you see the elves in different stories, different things, and different characters. Uh, I think another one is Frosty the Snowman or uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the claymation movies and shows you'll see on TV that I've seen since I was a little kid. But there's all these different characters that will surface during the Christmas season that just kind of become a part of it. And, and it just are characters and things that we see that just are part of the movies we watch. But there's another character that surfaces as well in the Christmas season. Again, a story that I remember reading and hearing about ever since I was a little kid, and they've done some remakes and different movies and things. But another one is the green character that we know as the Grinch. The Grinch surfaces. He, if you know the story, as I'm sure most here do, he surfaces. He goes into Whoville, and he wants to totally ruin Christmas. 
But in his attempt to totally ruin Christmas, and he's very intentional at trying to ruin it, he begins to discover that Christmas is far more than lights and bells and music and gifts and those things, and just begins to experience just a transformation of heart in all of that. But it's that whole idea of the Grinch and his attempt, his desire to totally ruin Christmas that has brought me to this morning. Because I look at our own lives and I would not dare say that I look around this morning and I think that there's a Grinch or there are Grinches sitting among us and I don't think anybody intentionally sets out to be a Grinch of any sort. But I really believe that if we're not careful in our own lives, there are certain things, certain practices, certain habits we have that if we're not careful that they can totally ruin Christmas. Not so much ruining Christmas for everybody else, but can ruin it for our lives and missing the significance of the season and and really turning our hearts to focus more importantly upon Jesus and remembering who he is. So this morning, I'd love to share with you just very quickly four quick ways that I believe that you and I can totally ruin Christmas and that really, I believe, are found mostly in the story of what we've just read. So the first one, I believe the first way that you and I can totally ruin Christmas is to make it all about you. Make Christmas all about you. I would imagine most have at some point in your life have have had someone that you've been around who loves to be the focus. They love to be the center of attention. They love to be the center of the story. They, They really are not fond of having someone else take the spotlight, having someone else become the focus. They love to be the center of attention. They love to be the one that everyone focuses on. I think one person that best demonstrates this in the story that we've just read is King Herod, the one that the, one that the Magi come to and report to. King Herod, if you're familiar with the gospel accounts of, of really Jesus' life, but specifically different moments throughout, you'll see that Herod is an individual who surfaces throughout the gospel story. Now, one thing we have to keep in mind, we looked at this in greater detail in a study of Mark that we did and concluded this past fall, But then we can't just think of Herod and think he's one person that spans the whole gospel account from beginning to end and picture him as one person. If you recall, one of the things we talked about with Herod is there was one individual, Herod the Great, this is the one in the Christmas story that we just read, and then there came a point where, and he was assigned by Rome to be a governor or a ruler in that land. He, He loved the focus to be on him. He loved for people to think he was in charge, really, when he really wasn't much in charge at all. But those around him, those in the Jewish community, those, they looked at him and they kind of just tried to, to please him, so they called him king. And that's really what Matthew does in this account. But we see Herod surface later in the gospel accounts, and we can't mistake those Herods to be the same Herod here. This Herod later, he had four sons. His, what the area that he was over was divided up among them. When we see John the Baptist appearing before Herod later in the Gospels, or even Jesus on just before he's crucified, appearing before Herod, this is a very different Herod. That's his son. But this is Herod the Great. This is the dad. And, and the dad, Herod the Great, he really set a pattern for his four sons that they really followed well in. And Herod the Great's pattern that he gave his sons was that he would be the center of attention for everything. That he was the focus. He wasn't comfortable. He wasn't willing to let anyone else be the focus. He wanted the center of attention. He wanted to be on the spotlight. He wanted to even be king. One of his sons later would appeal to Rome and and even appeal to Rome and ask them if they would give him the official title of king rather than than him having to go around and tell, tell everybody that he was king. But Herod was not fond of anyone else being the focus except for him. And so as the Christmas account begins in Matthew chapter 2 of what we've just read, it starts out okay. It says they go, the the Magi go and report to King Herod uh, and begin to share with him what's taking place. But then in verse 2, there's something the Magi say that immediately shifts the entire story, and it shifts Herod's perspective on the baby that is to be born. 
verse 2, and it says, and they asked, this is the Magi speaking to King Herod, it says they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Herod hears this, king of the Jews, and for him, there's only enough room in the spotlight for one, there's only enough room for one king, so immediately, he's got a problem. See, Herod knew something, he knew a truth, and he lived by a truth that I think many times we fool ourselves into forgetting. Herod knew that there could never be two kings. He knew that only one person could be in charge. He wasn't even in charge. He convinced himself he was, but he knew that there could never be two kings. Hearing Jesus as being declared as the king, now he had totally mis- mistaken what the, what the Messiah was to be. He thought he was going to be a military ruler coming. Totally missed it. But he, all that he heard was there's another king of the Jews, which is the position, the spotlight that he loved to occupy. So the story goes on to tell us that he's disturbed, he's disturbed, it disturbs all of Jerusalem, all of those around him, and ultimately he chooses to deal with the issue by sending out a death squad into Bethlehem to try to find this baby boy and to kill him. Now, historians would tell us, and I know that our manger scenes put the wise men at the, at the stable, the time when Jesus is born, but most tell us it was about two years after, somewhere in that one to two year window when the wise men arrived. And so Herod sends this order. He sends out a death squad. And the order is that they have to kill any baby boy they find who is two years old or younger, kind of indicating the timeline that he had put together of when Jesus could have been born. Now, in our minds, we, and I remember I've pictured this for many years when it comes to Bethlehem, we picture that the, the death squad's going out, the soldiers are going out, and they're killing these, these baby boys, and we, I just pictured them killing them by, by the dozens and hundreds and just mass, mass casualties across the city, and I picture Bethlehem to be something much like we live in today, just a larger community. Now, in Jesus' day, and even much like today, Bethlehem was a very small community. So it wasn't like there were a lot of baby boys they had to go and hunt and find. I think, for the most part, they knew or any official living in Bethlehem would have known who the baby boys were, where they were. And most say there's probably anywhere from 15 to maybe 25 on, on the high number of babies that would have been put to death that night. So it wasn't like they had to go and knock door by door and say, do you have a child two years old or young, uh, younger? Let me take them from you. They knew who they were. They knew they were going after. But Herod acted upon that truth that he knew and lived by, that there could only be one king. And I think that truth is the same in your life and in my life, is that we have to remember that when it comes to Jesus, what Herod did was he wanted to, he wanted to remain in charge. And we have to remember that when it comes to Jesus, specifically during the Christmas season, as a reminder that the focus is on him, not just for the Christmas season, but for every single season and every single day of your life and of my life, that the put the, it's to put the focus completely on him. If ever there's a time or a season or a phase that you go through in life where you look at your life as your life is, is lived for you and Jesus, then you're just fooling yourself because it's never Jesus and something else or Jesus and someone else. That the centerpiece, the focus is always to be upon Jesus. And the drift, our natural drift, is the very natural tendency that we have is to drift and focus on our, and ourselves, to focus on our own way. Listen to what Isaiah says. Isaiah 53, verse 6. This is talking about, really it's a prophetic word that's spoken over when Jesus would, then 700 years later, would die on the cross. But listen to what Isaiah says regarding you and regarding me. He says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. But look at those words. Each of us has turned to our own way. 
And we have a habit of turning to our own way. We have a habit of putting ourselves at the very center, making life all about us. So you want to know the best way that you can ruin Christmas this season is to pull a Herod. Make it all about you. Make life all about you. And really, not just the Christmas season. The best way to ruin your marriage is to make it all about you. The best way to ruin your family is to make it all about you. The best way to ruin anything and everything you're a part of is to make it about you. We live in a society that tells us that we're to constantly be a consumer. It is about us. We take, we take, we take, we take. But how different would our lives be if we followed the pattern Jesus gives us and we weren't a consumer, but rather we were a contributor. We were giving away. We were focusing on others. But the best way, if you're looking for, if you're making a list this morning of how you can ruin Christmas tomorrow morning, start number one with make it all about you. Secondly, I think the best way that, another way that you can ruin Christmas is to look for the faults and failures of others. Look for all the ways others have let you down, all the ways others have wronged you, all the ways that others have have done something against you. We looked at this in greater detail leading up to Thanksgiving, and one of the things that we specifically talked about with this to keep this in front of us is we talked about whatever you're looking for, you're going to find. Now, if you're looking for the good, you're going to find it. If you're looking for the bad, you're going to find it. And one of the best ways that I think you can, you can ru- totally ruin Christmas is if you were with us specifically up to Thanksgiving and those things we covered is to just totally forget all that stuff we talked about. Totally forget that we're not to be focused on the faults and failures of others and look for the faults and failures of others. That's the best way you can ruin Christmas. One of the greatest things about people is also one of the worst things about people, and that is this, they're people. Something that I've shared before, and I remember an old minister sharing this with me back at the very beginning of my time in ministry, and And he says, one of the things that you need to remember is that people are people and some go to church. People are people and some go to church. People are going to let you down. They're going to fail you. Look Look what Peter says in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, verse number 21. Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples and he's talking to them specifically about repetitive issues that come up and repetitive forgiveness in the lives of people. And he says this, look at Peter's, Peter, how Peter starts this, this conversation, verse 21. It says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. But notice that he says, how many times should I forgive them who sin against me? Another translation says, how many times do I need to forgive them when they sin against me? In other words, he says, when they fail me. It's assumed that others are going to have faults and failures, going to make mistakes, they're going to have issues. And so the best way you can ruin Christmas is to look for the faults and failures of others. And then I would add to that, not just look for them, but talk about them. Talk about those faults and those failures of others. That's one of the best ways that you can run relationships, one of the best ways that you can ruin Christmas. When you look in the New Testament, one of the things that really, one of the repetitive things that's talked about in the Christian life are two specific things. One is that we're to have ongoing relationship with God. There's an upward relationship that we begin to have with God through Jesus Christ. But then that upward relationship with God begins to take on a new, tra- a new level, a new dimension. And it's not just an upward transformation, an upward relationship with God. But if, what, if our faith in Christ is, gen- is genuine and there's transformation taking place within our lives, then what, what the New Testament begins to tell us is that upward transformation and upward relationship with God begins to be modeled and lived out and fleshed out towards others. So there is the, there's the upward relationship with God and it's lived out 
towards others around us. And that's much of the New Testament instruction that we have, if you look at, is on how to live life and demonstrate the love of God towards others, specifically those who wrong you, to those who, do, who, who have faults, those who have, have failures, those who have issues. But it's a reminder that if you want to totally ruin Christmas, look for the faults and failures of others. I think a third way, a third way, if you want to find a way to totally ruin Christmas tomorrow morning, is not only make it all about you, not only look for the faults and failures of others, but I think the third way that you could totally ruin Christmas is to stay busy. Find a way to stay as busy as possible. When you look at the Christmas story in the, the, four, the four chapters that I would call the four chapters that change the world, Matthew 1 and 2, Luke 1 and 2, the four chapters in the Christmas story if you look through the Christmas story, it's full of all sorts of different people. You have shepherds coming and going. You have angels appearing and disappearing. You have wise men traveling. You have all of these different details. You have uh, Simeon and Anna in the temple coming and worshiping and in awe of the fulfillment of God's promise and, and his, his word to them as they're holding baby Jesus. And you see all of these ones who are coming and going. And I wonder how different the gospel account of the Christmas story would be in those four chapters if any of those individuals who were mentioned were too busy to stop, take time, and notice what God had just done. In fact, I can't help but wonder what is not said in the Gospels. I can't help but wonder who else could have been invited to those special moments when Christ first came, when God sent Jesus Christ, born in the stable, born in Bethlehem, and he was there. And imagine how many other people perhaps had received an invitation to come, but were too busy, too focused on other things to either notice the invitation or respond to it. Perhaps it wasn't an angel that was appearing, but perhaps it was the shepherds as they were headed to the manger, passing through town and passing someone and saying, listen, we've just had angels appear to us and tell us that, that God has sent the Messiah, that he's here and we're going to see him now. Won't you join us? And like, well, I, I just set dinner on the table. I'll, I'll try to find out about it later. How many other different people could have been invited to that, that significant moment in history, but perhaps they were too busy or too full of their own schedules to slow down and to recognize it? So I think when it comes to the Christmas season, one of the best ways we can miss it, the best ways we can miss what God reveals to us through the Christmas season is to stay too busy. It's just to keep our lives packed full of busyness. I'll hear people tell me from time to time, they'll say, well, it's just the Christmas season, it's just busy. And what I would encourage you is not to really believe the lie that it's just the Christmas season that's busy. Because what we typically do is we replace the busyness of, of life, or really we add to the normal busyness of life the Christmas demands and the Christmas busyness. And then when that's done, we go right back to all the other busyness and things that were waiting for us beforehand. And there really was no time to pause or to slow down or to reflect on the gift that God has given us in Jesus Christ. Tonight after the Christmas Eve service, my family, we have just a number of just traditions that we'll walk through, we'll go through as a family, and as I'm sure many of you do here. And I've shared with you before, one of the things that we've done ever since our kids were small, and now we, we pack into a couple of vehicles and we caravan around, but we, we go and we get something to drink, we'll find hot chocolate or coffee or something, and then we'll put on Christmas music and we'll just drive around and see the lights. Can you imagine tonight, if we go out and I'm driving through neighborhoods, and I'm driving around so that the kids, so that my family, so I can just slow down and take in the lights and see the lights that are there. But can you imagine if I'm going at like 85 miles an hour through the neighborhoods? <laughs> but I'm just going, phew, it's fast. And everything's a blur. You know, they're like pinned up against the seat. It's a blur. I'm moving my eyes to see the lights because it's so fast. 
And I would say, hey, kids, did you see the lights? I said, well, Dad, I saw a blur of something. I'm not really sure what it was. Could have been a car. Could have been Christmas lights. I'm not really sure. But it was just so fast. If I were to drive like at interstate speed, you'd miss it all. Everything would be a blur. But do you realize that I think in our lives, many times we live at such a speed we live so fast, we go so busy at such a pace that, that the pace that we live at, the schedules we keep, that many times I believe that it keeps our hearts so busy. That as, as we're going through life and the schedule and the pace and the flow of what we're going through, that our hearts stay so busy that things that God wants to speak to us, seasons he wants us to slow down and listen to and reveal that really they're just a blur and we're kind of there and we're like, well, God, I think there was something, but I really, I didn't really get it. In his book on leadership development, the book called Replenish, Lance Witt, he writes, he says that we can't live at warp speed without in some way warping our souls. That if we're constantly going and constantly busy, then constantly going and doing something, having the next thing to go, having a hard time sitting still, having a hard time being silent, something we talked about just a couple of weeks ago, that in the end, we're, we're really shortchanging ourselves on things that God wants to reveal and God wants to speak to us, not just in the Christmas season, but in every season, in every space, and in every part of your life. I think one way you can, a, a quick check that you can take to see if perhaps you're moving at a little bit too busy of a pace and a little bit too fast of a pace for your life is this Christmas season when you go over to someone's house or enter a new place or somewhere that you're going to be celebrating, Examine how long it takes you to have to ask to, for the Wi-Fi password. How long does it take before you have to make sure that you're reconnected? So the best way you can ruin the Christmas season is to stay so busy. To, in fact, do it this. Do it this way. Pretend that if you stop, the world does. Just stay busy. It's one of the best ways to ruin the Christmas season. I think the last thing, the last thing that I would give you this morning on how to ruin the Christmas season season, the way, five, four ways to totally ruin Christmas, is to focus on all the wrong things. Just totally focus on all the wrong stuff. There are lots of good things that are going to happen. There's gifts that are going to be exchanged. There's loved ones are going to give you something and all these things. There's going to be time with family. There's parties to go to. Hopefully things are already planned and ready to go, but there's those type of things, all good things. But those aren't the focus. The stuff that happens around Christmas isn't the focus. The focus, as I mentioned at the beginning, is to always be on Jesus. And I think one of the greatest things from this story in Matthew chapter 2 that helps us see this from perhaps our, our uh, American mindset, or the materialistic mindset that sometimes we take and, and read into many things, is look with me in Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. Just to help you see how many times we can focus on the wrong things. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, this is when the wise men have just arrived, the magi have just arrived, they're there before the baby Jesus, and look what verse 11 says. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened the treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, if you'll look at that verse, if you could just leave it on screen for just a moment. If you look at that verse, if I were to ask you, what are the gifts that the wise men presented to Jesus, most would say, well, there's the gold. The gold, rep there's three gifts. There's gold. The gold is symbolic of his royalty. There's the frankincense that was uh, symbolic of his deity. It was something that was used in the temple in Jewish worship. And then there was myrrh, which is an odd gift to give to a child, but it's used for, for burial. All of those are really some prophetic, prophetic um, pictures that are given in these gifts that these wise men present. 
But if I were to ask you, what is the, what's the gift? What are the three gifts? What are the main gifts that the, the wise men give to the baby Jesus? Most would say, well, there's three gifts. There's gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And when we look at that, what we've done is we've just immediately blown past the very first gift, the most important gift that the wise men presented. Look at verse 11 again. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and here's the first gift, and they bowed down and worshiped. They paused to slow down, to make sure their hearts were focused on the right thing, that it wasn't on all the gifts that were being given, the fragrances of what they were presenting. They were saying, this is about you, Jesus. The focus should be on you and only you. And I think sometimes we can take a lesson from the wise men and remember that when they came, it's, it's not about what they presented. It's about what they gave from their heart. The presenting of themselves and coming in reverence and saying, Jesus, I'm here to focus on you. Many times, as I'd mentioned earlier, I'll hear different, I'll see people go through different layers and things to try to reprioritize the Christmas season and bring it back to Jesus and put the focus on Jesus. And I'll hear phrases, again, like the reason for the season or things like that. But the solution to each of the four that I've given you and the ones that you would even come up with on your own is I believe the one solution for all of these is to get your focus on Jesus and only Jesus. Look in Luke chapter 2, verse 10. This is the angel's announcements to the shepherd. It says, The angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. In verse 10 where it says, "This is I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. One translation says, this is what you're looking for. And friends, for you and for me, as we stand here on the morning of Christmas Eve, we'll celebrate Christmas Eve tonight as we gather together, and then tomorrow morning as we rise to celebrate with family and friends and whoever you gather with for the Christmas season. The one thing that you will be looking for is not in the gifts, not in the people, not in everything that will take place in the next few days, but it will be and always will be only found in Jesus. And so let me encourage you to use the sights and sounds of the Christmas season that you see here in the building as well as in the community and in your home to use some of the sights and sounds of the Christmas season to help keep your heart and your mind focused on Jesus. When you see Santa Claus, be reminded that with every Santa you see that the world truly can offer no substitute for Jesus Christ. When you see the lights, be reminded that the true light of the world for all mankind has come in Jesus Christ. When you see the tree, the Christmas trees in your house and around the town and, and in the community, is be reminded with every Christmas tree, whether a real tree or an artificial tree, be reminded that the Creator has come and stepped in among His creation and that He is with us through Jesus Christ. That you see when you see the, the mistletoe and you see every mistletoe, whether it be in a movie or in your house, to be reminded with the mistletoe that there is no greater love than the love that God has poured out upon you through Jesus Christ that he has lavished upon you. And with every gift that you open and every gift that you see, be reminded that while those gifts may be a delight from the person they come from, the greatest gift you'll ever experience, the greatest gift you'll ever find was the one that was first given when God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come, be born in a manger, and die on the cross, raised to life, so that you and I could be restored to relationship with him. Friends, when we see Jesus, we're certainly doing Christmas right. Won't you bow your heads with me and pray for just a moment? And then, Lord, for each one of us this morning that are here, 
I pray that as we do go through the Christmas season, as we move through the rest of this day, this evening, and tomorrow morning, that in every part, everything of what we do, that we would be reminded of who you are and that the focus should always be and will always be upon Jesus. So, Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.